Okay. All right, so Mr. Mueller, I keep forgetting, I didn't put in my umlauts, but there's two umlauts that are supposed to be over the U there. You either do umlauts or you do a U-E. A U-E? That, that. You know, if you can't, if your machine, if your type, you know, doesn't have the umlauts, then you do a U-E. Well, we'll just use our imagination, pretend there are umlauts there. He was born September 27th, 1805 in Kroppenstadt, Germany. I waited all day to say that. <laughs> he died March 10th, 1898, at the ripe old age of wow. 92. He's the oldest out of all of them. All, all of them yeah, in yeah. Bristol, England. And does anybody know the average life expectancy of someone in Bristol, England? Let me make sure I didn't put it up there. 45? Close, but not that old. Not that old. 40. 40. Wow. wow. So he really beat wow. the system That's there. He did I bet he, he took life. supplements. Yep. He, well, we'll see in a moment, but he, he really prioritized health and uh, exercise. Well, he, as we sit here eating. We're exercising. He did not eat seven-layer warm, gooey chocolate chip, seven-layer things that just happened. At his funeral, it was said that the whole city came to a standstill. That is literally tens of thousands of people lined the streets of Bristol, England. Uh, to watch him go by. Shops closed, businesses stopped, everybody paid honor and respect. He's best known as a champion of orphan care and a pastor. And so some background from Mr. Mueller. Uh, his father was an unbeliever, and Mueller grew up a liar and a thief by his own testimony. His mother died when he was 14, and the night that she died, he was at the tavern drinking with friends, and then proceeded to get up the next day and party all day, unaware that his mother had died. He was, uh, so that was at 14. And at 16, he was jailed for five weeks because he didn't pay any hotel bills. His father bailed him out, promptly beat him, and then sent him to live in another town. So kicked him out of Bristol. His father sent him to the University of Hall to be a minister because he thought that would make him a good living. Not out of any uh, need for, uh, or any call or any sincerity, but being a minister was a very honorable thing and a very, evidently, secure thing to do back in those days. Um, he estimated out of 900 divinity students, looking back, he thinks there were about nine men that were actually authentic Christians. Wow. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah. He was very academically minded. He did well in school. He spent most of his life in Bristol, England, again, where he pastored, excuse me, the same church for 66 years. He was married twice to Mary Groves when he was 26, and he was married to Susanna Sanger when he was 66. He lost both of them and preached both of their funerals and uh, actually all of his children as well. He outlived, I think he had four children total. He outlived his entire family, so his kids and his wife, both wives. And, and uh, he died, it said, alone with his savior, his church, and his orphans. So Mr. Mueller had a very, very long uh, life there as well. Okay, so let's talk about his conversion. So he went to the university, he was not yet a Christian, but keep in mind, he was training for the ministry, which is like, that you're a, yeah, that you're a, uh, 
at a university training for the ministry to become a pastor, and yet you are not a Christian. At the ripe old age of 20, in 1825, he was invited to a Bible study, and he actually wanted to go. And he has this quote when he got there. He said, It was as if I had found something after which I had been seeking all my life and immediately wished to go. It made a deep impression on me. God began a work of grace that evening. That evening was the turning point in my life. So that was his conversion, or as we'll see in a moment, what he would consider his first conversion. He then uh, wanted to be a missionary and had a burden to go uh, be a missionary, especially to the Jews. He wanted to go with the London Missionary Society, but he had some differences in philosophy and theology with them. Uh, so he was probably not destined to go with them, he thought. He became sick in the summer of 1829 and went to recover in a town called Teenmouth. And he discovered two critical things, and he would call this his second conversion. But the two critical things he discovered was, first and foremost, the centrality of the Word of God in a believer's life and growth. So that, it was at that time where he, he immersed himself in Scripture. Mm. He was baptized because he found it in the Word of God. He was baptized as an infant, but then he said he, he ran across it in the Word of God and said, no, I need to be baptized as an adult in immersion. He said that he had made no progress in the first four years. So remember, 1825, he would say he was saved, but then 1829 is really when he... Um, latched onto it because of the Bible. But he said he, he made no progress in the first four years of his Christianity because he didn't read the Bible and he didn't know the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so to him, as soon as he started reading the Bible and immersing himself in it, he said, not only did I receive knowledge, but also he received real strength from the scriptures. So he actually drew that, understood the, the spiritual strength of knowing God and knowing the word. He prioritized his early morning time, his early morning Bible reading and prayer, and especially walks, which he did for his exercise as well. So one of the secrets to maybe living 92 years is going on walks. He would be outside. He said, if I just got up and opened the scriptures and started to pray, my head wasn't going to be there. He says, I had to get up. I had to get out. I had to walk around. I had to commune with God. I had to warm my heart to who God was. And so he spent many hours uh, reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible, and praying uh, through his walks. He had one, one or two particular gardens and some walks that he would go on early in the morning. So that was the first big thing in his second conversion that he came upon was the centrality of the Word of God. But the second thing was the doctrines of grace uh, and the idea of uh, what you would say a more Calvinistic uh, standpoint, which again is, has kind of been a theme for some of these guys here. And he said this, Before this period, I had been much opposed to the doctrines of election, particular redemption, and final persevering grace, so much so that a few days after my arrival at Teenmouth, I called election a devilish doctrine. I knew nothing about the choice of God's people and did not believe that the child of God, once made so, was safe forever. But now I was brought to examine these precious truths by the word of God. Uh, Piper continues, Mueller was led to embrace the doctrines of grace, the robust, mission-minded, soul-winning, orphan-loving Calvinism that marked William Carey and also marked Charles Spurgeon. The doctrines changed his life. 
They had a profound effect on the holiness of his behavior. Mueller writes this, Being made willing to have no glory of my own for the conversion of sinners, but to consider myself merely an instrument, and being made willing to receive what the scripture said, I went to the word, reading the New Testament from the beginning with a particular reference to these truths. To my great astonishment, I found that the passages which speak decisively of election and persevering grace were about four times as many as those which spoke apparently against them. And even those few shortly after I had examined and understood them served to confirm me in the above doctrines. As to the effect which my belief in these doctrines had on me, I am constrained to state for God's glory that though I am still exceedingly weak, by no means so dead to the lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of the life, as I might and ought to be yet by the grace of God, I have walked more closely with him since that period. My life has not been so variable, and may I say that I've not lived much more than God, or much, let me say, this old writing sometimes trips me up, I may say that I have lived much more for God than before. So we're basically saying, after that, I never felt like I lived for God as much as I did, or as passionately and earnestly, sincerely as I did until that time. So, once again, it, it, it drove him to the scriptures to see if these things were true or not. Just like <laughs> baptism and some of these other doctrines like election or sovereignty of God or whatever, he got his understanding from them, from the word of God. That was first and foremost. All right, so, observations, <coughs> applications. What things are resonating from his conversion story? What things encourage us in living for Christ today? Is anything? Soak yourself in the Word. Yeah, one of the huge things, right? The importance of of knowing God's Word, soaking yourself in God's Word. He had a comment too that said it's not enough just to read God's Word; you have to meditate on it. I like what you said, Cheryl. Soak yourself in it, right? Meditate on it. Yeah. Reformed doctrine has withstood the test of time. It certainly has, hasn't it? <laughs> you see all these big dogs. That's yeah. And you'd think like maybe you jump to right the the hyper Calvinistic side of the spectrum that says, well, why do anything if you know? But that's that's not what they believed, and that's not obviously what how they lived. They preached the gospel far and wide, and they had huge acts of of human service and all those other things. My grandfather used to call it glue. Yeah. It, it held things together. Yep. The Christian rule. Yeah, and it, we've hit it before, but if anything, the Reformed doctrines, the, the the whole idea of it is the the sovereignty of God in all things, right? And so that will come into play very soon uh, with how he ran ministries. That was the biggest part of Luther, right? Martin Luther was the, the sovereignty of God, correct? Sure. Yeah, Luther, especially Calvin. But, you know. Yep. Um, along those lines, you know, if God is sovereign, then he can be trusted in all things. Yet we still have responsibilities, don't we? If God is sovereign, what are our responsibilities, generally speaking? Which is true. We know God is sovereign. But repent and believe. Yep. Yeah, repent and believe. What about in growth as a believer? Right. What about 
what, how do we, how well, do we obey? Then. Yeah. Yep. After, after we repent and believe initially yep. is then to obey the word, which means one, you know, like, so marinating yep. is another word that I like to use for marinating yeah. in the word of God. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, that's a theme in the Old Testament. It's a theme in the New Testament. It's yeah. throughout the entire Bible yeah. that we need to be spending time yeah. in, you know, studying the scriptures Amen. and learning them and knowing them. And applying them. And, and applying them, right, yep. in our lives. Yep. And, you know, knowing, knowing what, um, what Jesus taught, mm -hmm. especially present as New, New Testament believers. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, along with that, I think just the, the, our attitude towards growth. You know, Mueller had this kind of like tenacious attitude towards his growth. He, mm -hmm. he got after it. And, and once he kind of tasted God's word and realized the benefit of it to his soul and maturity as yeah, a disciple. Yeah, hunger for it. Yeah. It's like you, you, it's like you, you found, so, you know, you didn't like um, a certain thing, a certain type of cake. And then suddenly you started. <laughs> like seven layer. Yeah, like seven layer cake. cake the first one I ever had. discovered it. And it's like, wow, I now really want I that. I can't live without it. No, I can't. Just kidding. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want no. me to have the recipe. I'll gain, sit get ten that minutes. out of my house. Ten. Only ten, I'd be okay. <laughs> he said, uh, work with all your might, yeah. but trust not in the least of your work. It reminds me of the verse that says, right, work out our own salvation yeah. with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you for his good will and purpose. Right? That idea of the cooperation of progressive sanctification, that no, we're working. We're killing sin. We're learning and growing as a disciple, but it is the Holy Spirit that's doing the work, giving us the desire to do that, mm -hmm. right? And then the power of it as well. <clears throat> yeah, so let's talk about some of his kingdom accomplishments. Uh, much like our friend Charlie Spurgeon, he was a bit of a gospel beast. He was ferociously productive for the kingdom <laughs> of God. He founded this, uh, what he called the Scriptural Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad, um, and it eventually became five branches. It became schools, it became Bible distribution, it became book and tract distribution, missionary support, and lastly, orphan care. This was something that he founded. And just to give a little summary report of some of the things that he accomplished through that organization, it gets hard to, now that we're at the end of the book, it gets hard to find the end pages. When I was in the middle, I had much more meat to grab. Now I'm just like, just a little bit here. He says this, um, in May 1868, above 16,500 children grew or grown up persons were taught in the various schools, entirely supported by the institution. More than 44,500 copies of the Bible and above 40,600 New Testaments and 20,000 other smaller portions of scripture in various languages were circulated from the formation of the institution up until this time. And about 31 million tracts and books, likewise in several languages, were circulated. There were, likewise, from the commencement, missionaries assisted by the funds of the institution, and of late years, more than 120 missionaries. On this object alone, 76,137 pounds were expended from the beginning. So 
pounds, money-wise pounds. Also, 2,412 orphans were under our care and five large houses at the expense of 110,000 pounds were erected for the accommodation of 2,050 orphans. With regard to spiritual results, eternity alone can unfold them. Yet even so far as we've already seen fruit, we have abundant cause for praise and thanksgiving. And you see his little theology there at the end, you know, come out. He's just like, well, as far as spiritual results, which seems like, you know, he's kind of trying in at the end. Like, yeah, numbers, 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 and all this stuff that we did. But spiritual results, he seems to say, are the most important thing. And those are, they will unfold in eternity. Mm-hmm. That, that focus on that. Sounds like one of the first Gideons. Gideons with the Bible? With the Bible. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, he uh, certainly Bible distribution. distributed a lot of Bibles. Yep. So we think of this, um, much like we talked about with Spurgeon and some other guys, and certainly when we get to R.C. Sproul, we'll talk about it, but, you know, we can look at guys like this and be like, well, I've done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be busier. So we can be discouraged or we could be encouraged. Right? Um, but it makes us think, like, do we think big things for God? Do we, do we expect big things from God? Are we using our gifts that God has given us, our passions and our abilities? Where are we spending our energy in the pursuit of some of these things for the kingdom, right? Sometimes, especially, we get trapped into wearing ourselves out for the world or worldly pursuits and whatever it might be, but where is our energy going? And we've talked about it before. You know, he's another um, remarkably gifted man, right? Not everybody is a Charles Spurgeon or an R.C. Sproul or a George Mueller, right? But that's still, we're still called to be faithful where we are. And sometimes that's even thinking bigger than we think we can, right? One of the biggest things he was famous for was his attitude about trusting in God to supply for God's work. Um, he built five large orphan houses. He cared for over 10,000 orphans in his time. And at that time, there was massive sickness. There was cholera, which was rampant. Um, there were literally upwards of 250,000 orphan children living on the streets of England that were beggars. And they were subject to the worst of conditions. Why was that? What's that? Why was that? Why were they orphans or why were they yeah. sick? Why were they orphans? Were their parents yeah. died? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Average age no of 40 in. years old. You could, yeah. you could have, that's average. That means many people died in their 20s, yeah. leaving young kids behind. Wow, yeah. Yeah. It's still happening today. Yeah. Yes. It still happens. And in poor conditions, health-wise. Yes. Yeah. Um, he says when he, when he started in 1834, he had accommodations for 3,600 orphans. Um, and twice that many children were under eight in prison. Oh. One of the great effects of Muller's ministry was to inspire others so that 50 years after he began his work, at least 100,000 orphans were cared for in England alone. Wow. So yeah, it was a terrible, terrible time uh, to be an orphan. Just the, the sickness and the neglect and, you know, they weren't very well regarded and you know, I was, I was watching a video about it and just the pictures, you can see some of these uh, representations. Of, yeah, squalor is a good word for it. Just the filth 
yeah. that people were, were living in and describing. Yeah. Right? I remember my brother, um, as a missionary, just saying that he was such, Mueller was such an inspiration. There'd be oh. times there would be like no food for the kids. Yeah. And he would just gather everybody and just be praying that God, God's going to provide that meal, and there'd be a knock at the door, and yeah. there would be food. You That's know, amazing. and it's just like, how many times do we just like he he expected it? You yeah. know, he he knew his God, and that his God was going to yeah. supply exactly what what you need. Sometimes we get that with monetary mm -hmm. things. I know my brother's mission, you know, ministry. A lot of times, it's just yep. you know. Oh man, you know, it was like, and, and the exact amount just came in, yep. you know. Yep, we've seen that at Highlands. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially yeah. when we were um, building. I mean, we had, we had money that just came in for the exact amount that we needed. Hopefully we'll see that again, right? But you, you heard on his, his uh, philosophy there, he did not look for money. He, he refused to ask for money. He refused to borrow money. He hated debt, and he hated what we would consider the modern idea of fundraising, right? Um, but he raised the equivalent, somebody totaled it up, of uh, $180 million today wow. without asking for it. He never asked anyone except God for money, is what he said. He also never took a salary. And then all this, of course, while being a pastor, preaching three times a week uh, for a total of about 10,000 sermons uh, that he did. Um, so some observations. Does that, mean, does that mean he worked as well at, at a separate job as well as being pastor? I don't think he had. No, I mean, between the orphanage and his, his institute well, and pastor. if he didn't salary of some sort, how did he buy food? And well, that was so it. Yeah. I think probably through the orphanage he had yeah, food. Yeah, through the orphanage, um, I guess, yeah. He, um, they were telling a story, too, when he was a pastor, and he took the pastorate. Um, it was the time of the pew rentals, so people would rent their pews, and that was kind of this weird way of tithing to the church, and that would actually pay the pastor's salary. Uh, but he came in and was like, that's done. You know, nobody, nobody's renting pews. Like, we're just going to open this up to anybody who wants to come and hear the gospel. And they asked him, well, well that's crazy. How are you going to get paid? And he's like, God will provide. I'm not worried about it. And so probably through just regular tithes and offerings as well. Um, you know, his meager expenses probably were paid for, and then the rest went to the church and yeah. whatever else. But what about this idea? Like, is this an extreme... Uh, position, like he, he'd probably be mortified by the Nehemiah Fund, right? Okay. Is this wrong to do? Is this an extreme position that we are fundraising for the work of God? Who would think? Talk about that. I think this is an extreme faith. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, a very extreme dependence. Yep. But yep. I mean, he did get money to build those orphanages. Oh, no, he got them. You know, he just he, didn't ask for them. Right, no. He didn't go out with you. He didn't have a thermometer hanging in his office, you know, and he oh. didn't. Evidently, <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of people saw the need yep. and gave. Yes, yeah. Without having to be you know, asked to give. He must have been a really good preacher. <laughs> well, I mean, he trusted God to take care of the need for his work. And he lived it. And he lived it. He said, if this is God's work, God will supply. And that was his attitude. 
You know, yeah, we could look at that like, uh, okay, but you know, if people don't know the need, how are they right. going to know to give, and you know, everything else. And so, again, I don't think it's a right or wrong answer here. It's just a conviction of the heart. And what, like Bridget said, it's an ex absolute extreme faith. It doesn't necessarily mean it was sin, and we're not sinning by asking people to contribute to the Nehemiah Fund and communicating that need. Um, but it's definitely a conviction, right? But he had a sinister motive in this. And, and even this was a, um, a, a mission, as Piper says, the orphan houses exist to display that God can be trusted at his word. Mm -hmm. So that was his whole thing. Like There was this theological thing that, that went deeper than just, I hate debt and I don't want to market you know, my need. It was, no, by people seeing God provide for his work, that is proclaiming the glory of God and that people know that God can be taken at his word. Visible results. <clears throat> Visible results. Absolutely. Just like watching one of Jesus' miracles. Yep. You know, and yep. Some people didn't, yeah, how in the world could you ever deny that he was the Messiah? Oh, yeah. Watch, I mean, but we reject him all the time, you know. In certain but, but ways. Still, amazing seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with Mueller, right, you see a physical orphanage, or in this case, five orphanages, you know, go up. Right? There was no mass. Like, people must have been like, well, where did these come from? It came from God because God wanted them there. Right? That's a huge testimony to the glory of God. And, and, you know what? And, and, and it's so deep, though. Uh, you got a building up, right? But then to maintain that. Yep. Oh, it was massive. It was, it was a massive, massive amount of money. money. Yep. Uh, just to maintain yeah. those things. To feed all those orphans and clothe all those orphans. and. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So this concept of taking God at his word. That's, those are his, his words. What is that? What do you think that means? He was distressed at the spiritual state of professing believers who did not take God at his word. Believe in what the Bible says. Yep. He is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. Yeah. Yep. What does that mean in our everyday lives? We take God at his word. Don't truly believe his promises. I mean, he was living as a, you know, my God will supply all my needs, you know, and yes. for his for his glory. Yep. You know? Yep. Trust. That was his whole thing. Yep. You know? Yep. All right. Do yep. we I'm just I know I fall short a right. lot of times. And um, yep. you know, we all do. Right, definitely in the physical provisions, yeah. right? And yeah. let's face it, we live in the richest country in the world, so we don't really want for much. No. No. So we don't feel that dependence on the Lord a lot of times. But just in our everyday, how does that play in with things like fear, worry, and anxiety? Mm -hmm. We're taking God at his word. Like, does he really, is he really with me right now? Does yeah. he really have all things in his control right now? Is he really good? Right? That's what we're saying a lot of times when we start to stress and we start to worry and we start to you know, strive yeah. after these things. Or does he really love me? Does he really love me? Yeah, another one. Yep. He always provides. Yep. 
That doesn't mean his answer is always yes, though. No, no that's but, an answer, though. He always answers. But it's faith. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, I like it. Yeah. Faith. But then compare that. Like this, wouldn't this be the exact same time period as uh, Whitefield, Whitefield in the states Think begging so. for slavery to be legalized so that he could afford for his orphanages to be, you know, be able to run. You know, mm -hmm. he said, you know, oh, we need slavery so that I can do this cheaply. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's quite a big contrast as yeah. far as, you know, he's sticking to it and God will provide and he's trying to make slavery legal in the States, you know, or at least in Georgia so that, yeah. you know, Whitefield could do it that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a huge counterpoint to that. Yeah, and obviously we wouldn't condone that, right? We wouldn't say that was the right thing to do. Right, that would be sin. And we've, we've ran across many guys in our studies of the giants, right? And their, their sin. And we have to call it sin where it is. You know, it, when you... So many ministries, I mean, I don't think they're... Uh, they're always raising money. You know, uh, on the end of every sermon. You know, yeah. buy this vase of flowers, you know. <laughs> donate, you know, you donate... So, it, it's always there. So seed of faith. And the Lord will bless you for it. But, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think on the other end of the spectrum, you see uh, uh, an, an overwhelming emphasis on fundraising right? in some ministries and some churches. But there's, there, there is a need, a truly a need in a church for family or whatever. Yep. God's people always come through. Yes, they do. So this is we, very true. We have a foundation that um, we take care of an orphanage. It's now a school in Uganda, and mm -hmm. we we don't we try, but we're not too good at it. But the people who actually are uh, out there and doing it, we've stopped asking for money, and God provides everything we need. Wow! All we do is put on Facebook this need, and money is just coming in. Actually, we try to pay. We try to give. And we can't because other people have already done it. They beat us to it. They beat us to it. That's, <laughs> that's where it's at. And the people, our friends that are actually on top of it and running it, they don't work. God gives them everything they need. And mm -hmm. they live in a beautiful home. And and they don't. And God provides everything. Mm. I'm, I'm not kidding. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's all faith. It's all done. What a testimony. Yeah. Yeah. So... I know what he's saying, but we're, we're this little thing that's doing it. He's this giant thing. Doing yeah, it. yeah. yeah our, we have, we have 105 five students. Yeah. Kids, you know, <laughs> well, it's, yeah. You know, 400 in Kenya. It doesn't matter the size of it, right? It's yeah. God's, God's yeah. work. It's yeah. just yeah. every time there's a need, the money is there. There's no fundraising. At the, we used yeah. to try to get money, and now it's just snowballed. Yeah. And people are just taking care of it. It's a great testimony. Yeah. 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 And again, we're not, we're not saying it's wrong to put the need out there. Right. Um, obviously, we're doing it with the Nehemiah Fund. Where you know we're not saying it's wrong to do that, but at some point there's got to be a tipping point where it's like, are we trusting in God, or are we just trusting in our own ability to bring in the money? But the own? needs that happened, they needed water, and so we were able to get a well dug, and then they needed, they would have to close the school if they didn't get a wall around it. So 
we got a wall built, and then with COVID, they had to send the kids home. Well, the kids don't have a home because they're orphans. Oh boy. And they can't say that because they're second-rate citizens, so they call it a school. And the kids hid behind the well of the wall, and they had water, mm -hmm. and they stayed there. Wow. And they made it through all of them. That's great. So yeah. Good, good testimony. Yeah. So it, it really comes through in, in every part of our lives. You know, we, we're really then trusting God, not only to provide financially, right? Not only to provide with our physical needs, but we trust God spiritually with every part of our everyday lives. That, as Mel said, that He is who He says He is. And if He is who He says He is, He can be trusted, right? I mean, you can read the Psalms. You can turn on almost any page and, and read the Psalms about how the Lord is present, right? Um, blessed are those who dwell in your house and sing your praise. It's like, well, I don't feel very blessed today, Lord. Well, it's like, does that change the fact that he says, I'm blessed because I'm in your house? No. You take God at his word, and my feelings are there, but it doesn't stop the truth of who God is, right? That's what he's getting at by taking... God at his word, right? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's like, well, I don't feel like you're here. It's like, okay, well, I'm taking God at his word. He's here. Well, as New Testament good. believers, we have the Holy Spirit living Amen. inside us. So he's with us always. Amen. Never yeah. leaves us or forsakes us. I found um, a couple steps uh, that he said, because I was kind of like, okay, so how do we know, like, what... When God is leading us to do something, how do we know God's word, God's will, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. He wrote a book called Answers to Prayer, and he laid out a couple steps. And so a little bit of bonus material for you guys from George Mueller about how he would proceed. Like, say, for example, I think God wants me to build five orphanages. Okay, how do I know if that's what God wants me to do? So he kind of laid out the steps of how he got there. He said, first... He got his heart in such a state that he had no will in the matter. So in other words, like Jesus said in the garden, your will, not my will be done. Like he got himself in that state where it's like, okay, my personal preferences are out of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I want your will, God. And he says, this overcomes nine-tenths of the difficulty. <laughs> if we get ourselves out of the way and just say, God, whatever you want is what I want. Mm -hmm. Right? That's step one. And then he said he doesn't leave the results to feelings because then great delusions can come in. So secondly, he would guard himself against feelings, making the decision for him. And third, you will not be surprised, but he says study God's word. He says the spirit and the word of God must be combined. He said if I look to the spirit without the word, again, I lay myself open to great delusions. Right? So if we're saying, oh, the Lord told me, it's like, okay, well, maybe, right? But he says that needs to be combined with the Word of God. Don't just go with your feelings. Don't just go with what you think is a spirit impression. Back it up with the Word of God. So always bring it back to the Word of God. Fourth, he said he takes into account circumstances. He says God's circumstances plainly reveal God's will. <laughs> we just see it happen, right? We see a door and we walk through it. Or we see a window and we crawl through the window or whatever it is, right? So take into account providential circumstances because they plainly reveal his will. 
And then next step was he said he then in prayer asks God to reveal and confirm his will. And then after he sat on it a while, lastly, he just goes and does it. After all that, soaking in it and after just praying, after doing these things, he says, okay, I've made my decision. I'm just... The so best did he might... talk about how to deal with opposition? <laughs> well, I'm sure he, I'm sure he had lots of opposition. <laughs> well, Didn't mean it was all going to be uh, roses, right? From yeah. that, well, that read Nehemiah. Over. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The sword and the trowel. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little bonus material from Mr. Mueller on how he prayed through some of these decisions and came to this idea. And, uh, you know, circumstances, I think that one in particular always resonates with me because I think so much more of it, so much more today, we, we almost discount circumstances. It's like, should I do this? It's like, well, the opportunity's here. Like, you know, work out the basics. Is it sin? Is it going to bring more glory to God? Does it actually work with your life? Then do it, mm-hmm. right? If that's not where you are supposed to be, God will tell you, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, any other questions, comments, thoughts on any of that? Sure, just throw you a curveball to uh, think you're choosing a career. You know, people... Yeah, in what sense, what do you... Well, you know, some, some people, there's no... Is their career a calling? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, instead of just pursuing something that you think you want to do, you yeah. know, uh, how many how many of us really pray about it, you know? Right. I mean, oh, I'm going to be a doctor, or I'm going to be a lawyer, yeah. or, or a mechanic. I mean, um, yeah, I wonder how much thought even Christians put into, uh, I want, <laughs> is it what I want to be, or, or right, look what, what God wants me to be? Yeah. I mean, really. The I mean, way we raise our kids, right? Oh, sure. Some, some parents groom their kids to go a certain career. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's that's a guy like Mueller is teaching us that that's got to be part of our consideration. Like, okay, so I want to be whatever. Does that allow me opportunity to serve God? Where where will be my my ministry? Is that my ministry, or is there is it going to leave me enough time for church involvement and church commitment? All these things that should come into play, right? Sometimes they just don't because we just kind of go on autopilot. He had a quote, uh, something like, don't dare do anything before you pray about it. You know, and so many times we just go. Yeah. Well, it's like when you move, you know. Uh, you don't find a place to live first. You should find a church and then, yeah. live, and then live there. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just had that conversation with a young man the other day because he was thinking about relocating. I'm like, you better find a church first. How, how often don't you just, well, we're going to move to Manchester or whatever. Yeah. And then you get there and you can't find a church. Yeah. Well, hello. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You could, you could, again, that's, that's a real easy one where you could say, well, obviously, yeah, the Lord's calling me to uh, Palm Beach or something. <laughs> but it's like, okay, well, it's warm and there are palm trees or whatever else and there's a beach, but is there a church? Right. You can kind of see which, which was, which was pulling the, Pulling the, pulling the cart there. Or you can start a church. <laughs> start a church. Well, that, yeah, you know. <laughs> people need Jesus in Palm Beach, too, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's like Tony and I. I mean, it's not like we woke up one day and said, well, we're going to go to Highlands. I mean, it it was a journey. It sucked in. 
you know, it, but it was a journey. And certain things, certain, you know, we were over at Piro's house and he had said, uh, that all happened, that was your journey. Yeah. When you think about it, you know, this happened and then mm. you just got to look back at it. And, well, plus how much more, I mean, do our, right? Our, our lives, our careers, our things, they change too sometimes, right? Many, many times. You know? Yeah. The things that I bounce around in before I became a pastor. Right, so God plays the long game, right, in, in all things. Um, one of the other big things that Mr. Mueller did was, like many of the other great men that we have studied, he dealt with great loss. Again, he lost two wives. I can't even imagine preaching Melanie's funeral. Nevertheless, like if the Lord were to bless again, have two wives. Like, imagine that, like you preached, it's like deja vu, like mm. you preach two wives' funerals. He lost all his children. And Piper said, it's what he said in the face of loss and pain that gives us the key to his life. And one of the things he said that he kept saying over and over again is the Lord is good and the Lord does good. Doth good. Doth good. <laughs> and all is done according to his character. He would say that. He said that over and over again. We have the text of his both of his sermons from uh, his wife's funerals, and that's what he would say. The Lord is good and, and doth good. He said that he, he saw it fit that he promoted my wife to heavenly service. And you're just like, what? How is that even possible? Um, but some of his own words, I can get there. 1777. Um, so this is talking about his wife's passing. He said, Then came the diagnosis. When I heard the judgment and the malady was rheumatic fever, I naturally expected the worst. My heart was nigh to be broken on account of the depth of my affection. The one who had seen God answer 10,000 prayers for support of the orphans did not get what he asked for this time. Or did he? 20 minutes, after, 20 minutes after four on the Lord's Day, February 6th, 1870, Mary died. I fell on my knees and I thanked God for her release and for having taken him to herself and asked the Lord to help and support us. He recalled later how, strength, how he strengthened himself during these hours. And here we see the key to life. The last portion of scripture which I read to my precious wife was this. The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, if we have believed the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received grace. We are partakers of grace. And to all such, he will give glory also. I said to myself with regard to the latter part, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I am in myself a poor worthless sinner, but I have been saved by the blood of Christ. And I do not live in sin. I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. And all this springs, as I have often said before from once again, taking God at his word, believing what he says. And that... Gosh, the depth of that. He's, and it's not cold, you know, because he says, uh, he said, um, 
I feared the worst. I knew my heart was about to be broken because of the depth of my affection. He's like, no, no, I loved my wife. And so I was, I was ready. My heart, I knew my heart was going to be shattered. But then in this, he says, I know God. I take him at his word. If it's good for him, good for me, then she will be healed. But if not, it's good for me. That It's good for her, for sure, to be in heaven. Um, Monty Baxter calling me once again during midweek. Um, he talked about the gift of faith right and he made a great distinction between the gift of faith and the grace of faith and Bridget said it before that um, the, the gift of faith yes there are certain men that have exceptional faith right but the temptation is here he says that if, if we just think that these big things that we uh, trust God for are a gift of faith, then there's a little bit of a cop-out space there. There's a little bit of a wiggle room that we could get off the hook and say, well, I just don't have enough faith. It's like, no. He said there's a difference between the gift of faith and the grace of faith. We all have the grace of faith. That what God calls us to, he will provide for us. We can take God at his word. Right, and so whatever trials or whatever it's else we're going us to, to believe exactly, yeah, it's up to well up to us to trust yeah, him and who he is, right? right? Um, well, that's yeah, again, but believe and believe in him. Yes, you know fully. Yes, I just want. I I knew you weren't going all humanistic on no, no, you know, not not believing <laughs> right. in yourself. Right, right. right. Yeah, you know, yeah. No. Pull myself up on right. my bootstraps. You know. Yes. Um, <laughs> he says sorry. Um, he said, for example, he didn't have any biblical grounds to think that God would spare the life of his wife. Mm-hmm. Which is really ironic that he said that because, um, to get personal for a moment, when the doctor walked in, right before the doctor walked in to diagnose me with cancer, I was starting to, up until that moment, I was just like, this is a, this is a mistake. There's no possible way I have cancer. I'm a healthy guy. I eat right. You know, come on. Cancer's for other people. It's not for me. And right up until that moment, like when I literally heard his footsteps coming to the door, I was like, there's no reason why it can't be. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. Why not me, right? Exactly. Why not me? There's no reason. And it's so weird that he said that, because that's exactly what I remember thinking. And he said he didn't have any biblical grounds to think that God would spare the life of his wife. That God owns all life. God's in control of all things, so... No, I, I can't stand on anything. He says, no, you can't do that. It's like, <laughs> he's God, so he can. You know, I can relate to that because I had thyroid cancer. Yeah. And I always said to myself, well, I'm glad we got this out of the way. <laughs> uh, you know, there's no way. You I'm say gonna, that out loud? <laughs> yeah, there's no, what were you thinking? Yeah, there's no way I'm going to have another cancer. And then all of a sudden, the whole that dreaded phone call from the doctor in between your physical. Between the blood work and the physical. Yeah, you know, kind of just... Are you sick? You feel okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, you say to yourself, well, I went, went through this and... and yeah, exactly. Check that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah check that Yeah. Yep. He said, while he smites with one hand, he supports with the other. And he said, I kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. 
It's crazy. That kind of faith in the, in the sovereign God, right? He did have a, a theology that said God only takes away something to give us something better. Now keep in mind everything we just talked about, right? Which we hear Christians throw that around every now and then, right? Okay, so you lost one job. That means that God has a better job for you. Is that true? Not always. Not always. Not always? Yeah. Might provide a job if <laughs> What if the job he provides is twice as hard and doesn't pay as much as the job you lost? Could that be better for you? Could be. Could be. Could be you needed that for some reason. Absolutely. Yeah, or more opportunities. Or something. Yeah. It's not just always what we can see, right? Yeah. Could be a million reasons why that could be better for you. So the key is defining better. Yeah. Who <laughs> right. defines better. the good? Yeah. Better. He defines the good. Yeah. And so we don't always think, what, what's better for me? Like, you know, I, I know what's better for me. Like, no, that's just it. <laughs> you don't know what's better. <laughs> Nobody knows what's better. Like we think, but Jeremiah. We know what we'd like. Yes. We don't. We don't know what's. Better. Jeremiah twenty-nine or Jeremiah uh, seventeen, right? And the heart is wicked and deceitful. It's sick. Who can understand it, right? We think we know, but God's the one who knows. And that sounds so human, doesn't it? Yeah. And then God gives us the things that we actually need. And this, and you're saying, well, this guy buried two wives. He's like, well. That's the beautiful thing about God, is he wastes nothing. Wastes nothing. He doesn't waste cancer. He doesn't waste anything. So we've we got to have that bigger perspective on what is better. He was legit. Spurgeon said that he was like a modern-day Enoch. He never met a man who walked with God like Mueller did. That's coming from the Spurge, mm -hmm. no less. <laughs> The Spurge. The Spurge. You knew him that well, huh? I did, yeah. We, we hung out a couple times. You know. Um, <laughs> lastly, just to end on, a, on an up note as well, he said the most important thing for us to do is seek joy in God. Which, if you know John Piper, then you know he totally resonated with that one. The most important thing for us to do, he said, is seek joy in God. And he says this, um, According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, this is it. This is what he says. This is the most important thing. He says, above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. <coughs> Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last 35 years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to the notice of my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual joy or all true effectual service is joy in God having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. I think he meant experiential acquaintance and God with God himself. So there it is. Mr. Mueller just told us the most important thing for us to do is joy in God. How in the world do we do that? Is it just that easy? We just sit and get in our Zen-like state and 
joy is Jesus first, others second, ourselves last. I like that. <laughs> Jesus first, others second, yourself last. It spells joy. It spells yeah. joy. Okay, I just making you attractive. Thank you. Good, good, good. <laughs> it, it took me a minute. It's been a long day. I like that. Yeah. Where'd you read that? We heard it in a sermon. She just made it up right now. Oh, but we heard it in a sermon. She's God. that godly. Oh, that's right. It wasn't yes. me. <laughs> but, but Tony, someone said that exact same thing to me yesterday, and I had never heard it before. Oh, really? Wow. It's like, it's like a kid's BBS song. Yeah. Jesus and others and you. Yeah. <laughs> With hand motions. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Thank you for He's very big on self-denial, so that goes right along with that, right? And he said self-denial is not an impoverishment, but a postponement. The idea that, you know, there is something better for us. Even if this world, if my life is taken, right? There's definitely something better waiting for Philippians me. Philippians 4, too. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. And rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice. Yeah. The Lord is near. Yeah. Amen. Yep. And of course, you won't be surprised to, to hear that he thinks happiness can be obtained primarily through the study of the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. He says this happiness is to be obtained through the study of the scriptures, for there we know his character. So this just isn't, um, you know, things about God. This is God's very word, and this reveals who God is to us. And that does something to our souls. So we would be wise to take his advice to spend those mornings um, in silence and solitude and getting after God and memorizing, meditating, reading scripture, praying. He said read regularly, read consecutively. Read through the Bible. Continue reading through the Bible. All right. So most important thing, according to Mr. Mueller, seek happiness in God through his word. I'd like to add something. So yeah. I've heard of George Mueller before through a little, like, you know, evening devotional dealio. And I think the, the excerpt that I read in that, and I've memorized the name because it's so it, it really hits you, but I think it's exactly what Cheryl was mentioning before that her brother had said. Okay. And I actually found the story reprinted. It was from something Mueller wrote himself. Okay. So here it is. It's like six sentences. Cool. All right. So this is while he was staying with one of the um, orphanages. It says, one morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal, when Mueller said, children, you know, we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, dear father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I thought you didn't have bread for breakfast, and so the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left than there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and would like to give the children the cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it. <laughs> Can't make that up. But it, you know, knowing that story, going into reading about Mueller, it's like if you lived with that, yeah. God's consistent provision, and that you know, the writing mentioned this was one of a dozen stories of oh. similar provision. You know, so it's like knowing that's 
his experience, his life experience of God's provision, yeah. how much easier to be like, well, God provide. Well, because it was true, because it did happen. Yeah. And he witnessed it time and time again. Right. Yep. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. Well, I have a story that happened to us. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, I don't. Um, we used to have um, Dagmar Dale. Yeah. Used to be here and used to deliver milk and uh -huh. glass into the house. And um, I, I was 13, my brother was, uh, my sister was 11. No, more like 8. 8, eight. and my brother was two. 2, 3. My father was killed in a car accident suddenly. Mm -hmm. And we had been getting deliveries to the house, uh, you know, of milk and butter and eggs. And um, after my father died, uh, there was never a bill again. The whole time us kids wow. were in the house wow. from Dagmardale, wow. delivered to the house. That's great. Wow. Never a bill. Stories of God's provision. Isn't that something? Yeah. I did get to share that story with uh, the father who was the owner with one of his children, and he's dead now. Wow. And yeah, they didn't know that about his father. They didn't know that about their father, but yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's something. And I'm, I'm thinking as, as I hear that story from Bridget and from you too, it's like if we always are consistently, almost obsessively covering ourselves, like, oh, I need this, I got to cover this, or, I need this, or I got to do it, or I need this, right? You're never in that position where you're dependent on God. Exactly. And my mother wasn't working. Yeah. She had to go to work. It's almost like, you know, he's just milk waiting for us to be like, okay, milk, now milk I get it, eggs. you know, I'm dependent on you. And he never fails. Yeah, when everything's stripped away. And he never fails us. Yeah. Right? That's not saying that, you know, we'd be stupid, you know, but quit our jobs and wait at home for money to fall out of the sky. You know. <laughs> but we remember his provision. But if we're if we're consistently trying to think that we're the ones who are providing for ourselves, we're never in that spot to trust God. Right? Good stuff. Thank you guys very much. Okay, next week, Hudson Taylor, another missionary. That'll actually be the last one from Mr. Piper, and then we have two bonus weeks, Mr. Edwards and Mr. Sproul. All right? Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for um, just another remarkable man, a giant of the faith uh, that we can certainly emulate to bring us um, farther along in our journey as Christians today and our dependence on you in our reliance on your word and the understanding of what it does in the acts of service towards others and self-denial towards ourselves in an unwavering focus on the sovereignty of you and Lord, how we can in fact trust you with our everyday lives because we take you at your word. Help us to do that, Lord. Strengthen us to believe and walk in it, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Another successful midweek. Yes. Yeah. Justin will be home soon. He can say that. Oh, is he feeling better? I don't know.